Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, or as we say in English, Nineveh, that great city. It says that great city because it was, in fact, at this time, the largest city in the world. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. That's the ancient name of the modern country of Spain. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, or you might, your version might read Yafo or Jaffa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So Jonah paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them unto Tarshish from, to escape from, to leave from the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, pray that in the next few moments, your spirit will overwhelm every barrier to divine communication. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You read a passage like that in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. The Lord spoke to Isaiah. God said to Abraham, get thee up out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land that I will show thee. We read those verses. Here's my question. What did it sound like? And the Lord said unto Jonah, what did it sound like? Is it the voice of Charlton Heston coming out of the clouds? I mean, is, is that what he heard? Jonah. Maybe. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying we don't know that. Maybe it sounded just like it sounds to you when you're praying or reading the scripture or maybe when you're not praying. This thought, this intrusive word bursts in upon your conscience. Why couldn't that be exactly what that means? That Jonah hears God inside of himself somehow. The impulse, the thought, go to Nineveh, the greatest city in the world, and prophesy against it, preach against its sins. Maybe maybe these Old Testament guys didn't hear anything other than what we hear. What we would like to believe is that they did hear the voice of Charlton Heston coming out of the clouds, because if they did and we don't, it means that we are not as obligated to obey as they were. See, but if they heard exactly what we hear, then, then it presses in upon us that we have to, we are, what we are responding to is the voice of God, the same as Jonah did. Now let's talk about Jonah's response because it's, it's utterly human. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for its wickedness has come up to me. I want you to go and prophesy, preach. And, and it says, Jonah says, I believe I, I need a vacation in Spain. Now, the next passage is very powerful. It says, 
to flee from the presence of the Lord. Please look at it. He doesn't say he's going to flee from the word of God. The word of God came into Jonah saying, go unto Nineveh and preach against it. And he says, I will flee from the presence of the Lord. Because Jonah knew what many churchgoers forget, and that is that if you're going to be in the presence of God, you will not for very long elude the word of God. That if you're going to be in God's presence, you may very likely hear from God. So I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anybody off from midweek service. I just want to say to you, it's not safe for you to be here. It's good. It's just not safe. It means that right now, this moment, here in his presence, when you pray, every time you enter into God's presence, every time you crack open the Bible, every time you pray, every time you enter into God's presence, you run the risk of hearing from God. Now, sometimes it's exactly what you want to hear. There was a man that I knew some years ago. He was a Methodist minister, a friend of mine, but he was one chilly dude. He was just straight and rigid and not, he was very humorless and a little bit cold. One day we arrived at a pastor's conference at about the same time and we met in the parking lot and he came over to me with tears in his eyes and he said, oh, Mark. He said, Mark, I'm glad I saw you. He said, I was looking for someone to share something with, and I just wondered who in the world would listen to me. And he said, I, I think I could say this to you. I said, what is it, Charles? He said, oh, Mark. He said, I was just praying in my car on the way here, and I said, God, you speak to all these people. Speak to me. Speak to me. And he said, oh, Mark, he did. I said, Wow. That's wonderful, Charles. What did he say? And this cold, rigid, kind of legalistic Methodist preacher, he said, oh, Mark, you're not going to believe what he said. I said, what did he say? He said, Charles, I love you. He said, isn't that wonderful? I said, well, that, mmm, Charles, mmm. No, but see, to him, that was an exciting, thrilling moment in the presence of God to hear the word of God. To him, it was so deep. I, I sensed in that moment that this chilly dude wanted somebody to tell him, I love you, and God said it, and Charles heard it. Deep within him, in the presence of God, there alone in his car, he heard a word from God. But, but what if the word is not sweet and tender and loving, and I love you. What if it is, I've got a job for you to do, and it's really tough? Is that the moment when we say, you know what? Spain is looking good to me now. <laughs> so Jonah actually goes down to the seaport town of Jaffa, 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 it might be called, and he boards this ship to Spain, you know, the, you know the story. I think there's not a person in this room that doesn't know the basic story of Jonah. You know, he's in the storm, and then the, the sailors say, why is God doing this to us? And Jonah says, it's me. You know, I ran from the Lord. I've disobeyed God. I think that the storm will go over for you. Throw me overboard. And they do. People, you know, look, 
You say to people, it'll fix everything in your life if you throw me in the ocean, they will. They say, great, you know, we've been looking for an excuse. So they throw Jonah overboard. He is swallowed by this great fish. He's in the belly of this fish for three days and cries out to the Lord. The Lord causes the fish to, I love the King James Bible. It's so graphic. It says the fish vomits him up on the beach. Isn't that great? You won't hear a lot of sermons on that. The fish vomits Jonah up on the beach, and there on the beach, I mean, there on the beach, three days in the belly of a fish, everything's gone wrong, covered in fish vomit. He says, okay, I hear you. Now, let me just explain that point to you. Here it is. God would like you to hear him the first time he speaks. If you won't, he can arrange it. I was just talking to a lady tonight before the service. She didn't even know I was going to preach this sermon. She said for weeks, God has been telling her, slow down, slow down, slow down. And she said she wouldn't listen. She said this week, three times, she tripped and fell flat on her face. She said, I nearly broke my face. She said the third time when she hit the floor, God said, do I have to do this all week? Now, I don't know. You know, it's her story. All I'm saying is you can hear God the first time or he can fix it so you can hear There are a lot of people that hear God pretty easy in a prison cell. I said, Lord, I'm ready to hear from you. God says, we could have handled this a different way. Now, the next thing is this. Why do we disobey God? Why would Jonah refuse to go? Think of the great adventure this was. I'm going to make you a prophet. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to take you to the largest city in the world to speak prophetically to the sins of that city. What an adventure. What a calling. What an, what an exciting moment. Why would Jonah disobey? Why would Jonah say, I refuse to hear that. I refuse to even be in your presence. I'm leaving. I'm going to Spain. I don't want to hear from you, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Why would he do all that? Well, for one reason, we can see what it is. Not only was Nineveh the largest city in the world, it's the largest Gentile city in the world. Jonah is Jewish. He doesn't want to go to this unclean city. He doesn't want to be with these unclean Gentiles. He didn't want to be around them. Now, listen to what I'm telling you tonight. God has an adventure for your life, but it may not be with the people that you choose. God may say, say, Lord, why don't you get some good neighbors next door to me? God, these people are making me crazy. Look at that junky stuff in the front yard and a car jacked up on cinder blocks and dogs. Oh, God, fix these people. Do something to them. And God may say, I have a plan for those people. Yes, Lord. That's what I was waiting to hear. You. No, Lord. No, I'm serious about this. God the next phone call can change your life. If we take this seriously about being in the presence of God and hearing from God, God has the right. He's like God and all, see? God has the right to call you, send you, commission you to anybody, anywhere, and it may not be the folks you choose. Jonah, if God had said to Jonah, go to Jerusalem 
and preach what I tell you to preach. He said, Lord, I'm your servant. He said, go to Nineveh. He said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be with those people. I don't care about them. I don't like them. And I do not want to serve you in Nineveh. When God calls, it may not be anything that you have ever thought of, had a passion. I want a passion for things. You hear this all the time. I hear it all the time, especially from young people. Young people listen to me. Hear it all the time. Find your passion and pursue it. Find your passion and pursue it. Sometimes I get weary of it. What if it's not your passion and God tells you to do it anyway? (laughs) Then what I would say is, if you obey God, it will become your passion. So he says, Lord, I'm just not going. Why else would he disobey God? Second reason he disobeys God is because he he is confident of the character and nature of God. He doesn't want God to save Nineveh. He wants God to kill him. He wants God to kill Nineveh. So he says, I know what's going to happen. I'll go up there. I'll preach. They'll repent. You'll forgive them. I don't want them forgiven. I want them killed. We, we struggle with this all the time. Lord, we want the people in that other political party melted. We want, the, we want this person destroyed. We want that person, God, kill them. We, we want God to wipe them off the face of the earth. Jonah says, I know you. I know what you're like. You're going to send me up there to preach to these people, and you'll save them all. He doesn't want to be with them. He doesn't want them saved, and he knows what God is like. The third thing is this. Like so many of us, the basic reason Jonah doesn't want to go is because he's just a human. There's something in us that just doesn't like being told where to head in. We just don't like being given orders. I can prove it to you. Go home tonight and put a sign in your front yard that says, do not step on the grass. People will stop their cars. They will get out and look all around. There's just something in us, especially in Americans. Americans, one man, one vote, don't tread on me, pry my cold dead fingers off of my gun. With that, that's who we are, you know? We're just we're rugged Americans, one man, one vote. That all works in a republic. It doesn't work in a monarchy. God is king. I mean, it's hard for us to realize there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the kingdom without us voting on it. We want to vote on everything. God says, go ahead, vote. I'm not counting. (laughs) So there's there's this thing in us that just doesn't want to be told what to do. We just don't want to receive his will as, as, as anything greater than kind of hints for happy living, a suggestion. God says, the next phone call can change your life. And God says, go there, do this. Give that. Obey me. That's, that is you're right where Jonah was, and you're hearing the same voice Jonah heard. It's not something different, a different way. It's the same thing. Now, Jonah finally obeys God. He goes, he preaches, and he has the greatest revival in history. 
People think that the revival on the, on the, the second chapter of Acts is the greatest revival, 5,000 people saved, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it's not. It's Nineveh, the largest city in the world. Every citizen, every person in Nineveh turns to God from the beggars in the street to the king in his chambers. Every person in Nineveh turns to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. All these Gentiles, the largest Gentile city in the world, turns and worships, yields, submits, and worships the God of Israel, the greatest revival of all time. And is Jonah happy about it? He is not happy about it. He says, I knew it. Just what I said you would do. And does Jonah rejoice? He does not. He goes outside the city. He lays down in the dust. He builds a little lean-to, and he lays there and sulks with God, sulking because he got the greatest revival in the world because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want God to save them, and he certainly did not want to have a label, a pin that says, I saved the largest Gentile city in the world. He does not want that badge, okay? So he's laying there sulking. The sun comes up, beating down on him, and he says, this is just what I thought. This is about what I can expect from God. One thing after another. Throw me overboard, put me in a fish, cover me with vomit. Now I'm out here in the sun. So a vine grows up over Jonah's head and shelters him. Is Jonah grateful? No, he's not grateful. He says, that's the least you could do. That night, a cutworm comes and kills the vine. It shrivels up and dies. And Jonah says, perfect. <laughs> and then again, God speaks to him. Now, again, we've got to get past this idea of this voice booming out of the clouds. God speaks to him and says, are you, doing, are you right to sulk and be mad at me? And Jonah says, I am right. You're the one that's wrong. I am right. He said, it would be better for me to die than to live. This vine was covering me, and now it's dead. And God says, why can't you think the way I think? Why can't you think the way I think? You're grieving over a vegetable that you didn't plant, you didn't cause. It grew up, lasted 24 hours, and died, and you're grieving over it, and you didn't care anything about the largest city in the world so spiritually confused that they don't know their right hand from their left. So God says, I don't want you just to hear my voice and obey. I want you to feel what I feel. Think as I think. Grieve for that for which I grieve. Love that which I love. God says the deal here is not simply naked obedience. The deal is actually you thinking as I think. So here, here's, here's something I like to share. Let me see who, I know the young people are at the other facility, but let's just see if we have anybody here under the age of 18. Is there anybody in the house under the age of 18? How old are you, son? Right back there. Raise your hand to me, son. Yeah, how old are you? 15. Perfect. What's your name? Jared. Jared, listen to me. Some days that is, you live with your mom. Someday you're going to want to get the car. I'm going to teach you how to get the car. Listen to Dr. Mark, okay? 
When they say to you, your mom, your dad says to you, go out and mow the lawn. And you say, okay, I'm going. I just want you to know you've ruined my life. This will get you nowhere, son. Listen to Dr. Mark. Forget all these people. I'm helping you. Here's what you say. Mow the lawn. I would be delighted. Not just that. I'm going to mow the lawn. Then I'm going to wash your car. Then I'm going to clean out the garage. Then I'm going to clean up my room. You'll have to go visit your parents down at the coronary care unit. Your mom will be laying up under an oxygen tent there, but she'll give you the car keys to drive home with. Am I right, parents? We don't just want our children to obey. Isn't this right? Nobody wants to stand. Jared, this is the reason. Your parents don't want to stand at the door of your room every day and say, clean up the room. Clean up the room, Jared. Clean up the room. Clean up the flaming room. Am I right, parents? Is that right? We don't want that. See, we want you to see the room the way we see it. See, if you're content to live in that room that way, we're concerned about your fundamental humanity. So we want you to open the door to your own room and say, oh my, this is a bit disheveled. I will set about to make it right. So this is, this is what God says to us. He, I believe that God says, you make the hero out of the person who hears some dramatic encounter with God, supernatural. God writes in the clouds, go be a missionary in Afghanistan. And it's okay. I see that. And I'm going. Say, God says, you make that the hero. He says, that's not the hero, not in God's eyes. God says, maybe that dramatic supernatural encounter is the only way I could get through to that guy. But he says, what I want is that I don't have to ride it in the sky. I don't have to shout from behind the clouds. All I have to do is move you to the place where you think the way I think, that you perceive what I perceive. People say, Lord, do you want me to witness to my next door neighbor? Do you want me to witness to my next door neighbor? Should I, should I go and witness to them? God, speak to me, speak to me. And I, I don't believe God's ever going to speak to you. I mean, maybe he will, but I don't, I think God is saying, I'm, I'm not going to say to you what I've already said. I've already said, have a burden for the lost, care for the dying. I've already said to you, be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Some of you, your next door neighbor is the uttermost parts of the earth. God says, I've already spoken to you. I've done this. So we keep waiting sometimes for this supernatural word out of, out of the sky when really what God wants is simply to reprogram us to think the way he thinks. I was in Africa some years ago and I met a young man who was there alone in Africa doing a pretty substantial work. It wasn't, I'm not talking about world vision or anything, but he was building some things and doing the work there. I was pretty impressed. I met him and I said, you know, we'll help you get some things done here. And then he and I were having dinner one night, and I said, tell me about how you were called to Africa. And he said, Dr. Mark, I wish you hadn't asked me that. 
And I said, why are you embarrassed about it? He said, it's not that I'm embarrassed about it. He said, it's that I'm not sure I was ever called. I don't know if I was ever called. He said, I came over here on a summer mission trip, and I realized that if every American in, the, in America came over here and worked full-time for the rest of our lives, we could hardly make a dent in this. And he said, I was just grieved for it, and I just stayed. He said, I came for a summer mission trip nine years ago, and I just never went home. But he said, I don't, I don't know if I'm called. I said, oh, son, you're called. But see, we, we, we read a passage like that that says, and the Lord came and spoke to, to Jonah. And we can't make it just that. Just that thing. You're sitting in an airport. You see some lady across the terminal sitting there weeping. And the thought comes into you. I should go over there and tell this woman, look, I, I don't know what you're facing, but I just want you to know God loves you and cares about you. And I, I'm going to pray for you. I'm about to board this flight, but as I fly, I want you to know I'm going to pray for you. Why can't that be God? Why can't that be the voice of the Lord? Why can't that be God saying, there, there's the next adventure? One of the reasons that we turn the adventure of serving the Lord into drudgery is that we, is that we miss the voice of God calling us out to the edge where the exciting stuff happens. Because sometimes we just... We just think he ought to write it on the wall of a house. Well, what he really wants is for us to think the way he thinks, to value what he values, to love what he loves. Last week, I ended the service by sharing with you about the experience that I had of my first trip to Africa, which was an extraordinarily supernatural moment. A, a, a truly a visionary experience and all the work that has come of it. 35 churches in West Africa and schools and, and wonderful things. It's been a, a tremendous, tremendous experience. Tonight, I, I want to close by sharing with you an experience that was the opposite of it, where there was no visionary experience. There was no word that I ever heard. It wasn't a moment where God erupted into my consciousness. I was, uh, I was asked to come and preach a crusade in northern Thailand and uh, by a large church in Bangkok wanted me to go and preach the crusade in northern Thailand and then train a pastor and stay there for a while until the church could get started, plant a church. So I went to do that. I had to stay one night. Uh, I flew in late in the evening, about 8 o'clock at night, to the Bangkok airport, and I had to stay in Bangkok before I could go on and fly to Chiang Rai the next day. So I was in my hotel room, and um, I would say about 11.30 or midnight, there was a knock on my door, and I, I went to the door, and there was a man standing there, obviously Thai, as far as I could tell, and he had with him a, a small child, a little girl about the age of my little girls at home at that time, Emily and Rosemary. She looked to me like she was 10, 9, 11. They're very small people, and so I, I couldn't tell her age. She's kind of standing there with a sad look on her face, her little hands behind her back like that. And this man spoke to me in German. He, he assumed I was a German, and so he spoke to me in German, and I said, 
Nein, ich nicht spreche sehr Deutsch. Ich bin ein Amerikaner. I don't speak German. I'm an American. And he switched to English, just like that. And his English was better than his German. He said, oh, I thought you were German. He said, he said, look, I, uh, he said, I got this little girl this afternoon in a village in the north. And he said, I can guarantee you she's a virgin. He said, if you give me $400 American, you can take her in your room and you have her all night. Do whatever you want to. Well, I was just horrified. I think now the stories and the accounts and the television reporting on child sex trafficking in the world has become sort of news for everybody. It's out there. But I, I don't know if, if I was living in a bubble or if nobody knew it, but 1986, I got to tell you, I was not that clear on what was happening. So I was pretty horrified. I mean, I was shocked and, and anger well up inside of me. And I said, I'm, I'm going to call the police. I'm calling the cops right now. He laughed in my face. He said, let me call him. He said, I'll call him. He said, this is my country. He said, you don't get me arrested. I get you arrested. He said, I have the cops here in 10 minutes. And he said, they'll arrest you. We'll convict you. And he said, let me tell you what else, too. He said, I can reach into any prison in Thailand, and I can have you killed. He put his hands on my chest and he shoved me back in the room violently, shoved me back. And he said, go back in your room, Farang, foreigner, outsider. Go back in your room, Farang, and shut your mouth. He said, there's nothing you can do about this. And I'll sell this little girl before I get to the end of the hall. He slammed the door. And I, I just was so confused. I, I know that... You, I know that you're thinking you would have known what to do. I was very confused, and, and I stood there in impotent rage. I couldn't think what to do. I felt he was right. I wasn't outside. It wasn't my country. What if they arrested me for doing what he was doing? I didn't know what to do. I was confused and very upset. I paced up and down in the room, and finally, I just said, I'm going to go for it. I don't know what I thought I was going to do run out in the hallway like Jackie Chan, you know. And <laughs> I jerked the door open and went out in the hall, and they were gone. I've never seen that little girl again, and it bothers me to think of what she went through until some brothel in Bangkok kicked her out in the streets at the ripe old age of 19 with AIDS. I still think about that child. So I was up all night. I got up the next morning. The Thai pastor who came to greet me took me to breakfast, and I told him all about it. I was, you can't believe what happened last night. This man came, and there's this little girl, and he sat there, and he was a little blasé about it, to tell you the truth. He said, you know, we have a problem with that. And he said, it's, it's a real issue here, and that kind of thing. My American self-righteousness, I said, Somebody ought to do something about this. What are you sitting there for? I said, when, when somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to act, do something. Somebody ought to care about these little girls. He sat there for a couple of minutes and took it. And then he looked up at me and he pointed his finger in my chest and said something that changed the rest of my life. He said, somebody ought to. 
He said, you're somebody. He said, aren't you somebody? You know, I couldn't even think of what to say. I went up to Chiang Rai. I preached his crusade. We planted his church. I trained his pastor. That little girl was in my mind. When I got on the plane to come home, every time I closed my eyes, I started crying. I got home, sat down with Allison, told her all about it. She started crying, crying. I said, what about what this guy said? She said, we are somebody. We started doing some research. We found there's a million prostitutes in Southeast Asia under the age of 15. I thought, I can't, I can't save a million. See, there's this thing that Satan says to you that if you can't do everything, you better not try to do anything. But that's a satanic trick. We, we couldn't let it alone. So we went back to Thailand. We found a minister and his wife. We rented a flat. We talked to them about how to bring tribal girls in who were in danger of being sold. We started with eight girls. Soon we went to 16. They called us in the United States and said, we're going to have to get a bigger facility. Went back to Thailand. We rented a house and we bought another house. Then I found a dilapidated old church camp and rented the church camp from the denomination that owned it on the condition that I would renovate it. We renovated the camp. We went to 50 girls. Finally, we just started saying to ourselves, we're going to have to do something. I've either got to get out of this. It was getting away from me. And eight girls in a flat. That's one thing. 50, 60 girls. And I realized I'm either going to have to do something more permanent or I've got to quit. <laughs> I had a... So we, I sent my daughter Rosemary to Thailand. We found an English lawyer. We incorporated. We bought land. Now, began in 1986 with eight girls in a rented apartment, a flat. And now we have 14 buildings on two campuses, 120 girls, world class, world class. But we have hundreds of graduates that have come through House of Grace. Hundreds of graduates that have come through House of Grace. Three attorneys. Wasn't really the dream of my life to populate the world with the lawyers, but it, <laughs> three attorneys. I was over there not too long ago and I met with some of the alumni. One of the girls who's an attorney, she works for a bilingual law firm in Bangkok, and she'd just been made the head litigator for a lawsuit for, for John Deere tractors. And this is a little girl that just 15 years ago was a little barefoot girl alone in a village on the edge of the Stone Age. Now she's a multilingual lawyer that's suing the pants off of somebody. I said, I know you must be proud about being a lawyer. She said, oh, Dr. Mark, I have a dream. She said, being a lawyer, this is where I'm starting. I said, I thought this would be exciting to you. She said, it is exciting, but this is not. She said, the Lord has put a dream on my heart. I want to be the first Aka tribal woman judge in the history of Thailand. I want to be a judge. 
The woman that runs the whole thing, runs the whole school, everything. All that we have is the first girl that we took in. The first girl that walked across the threshold. She now runs the whole deal. Judapon. She's a wonderful young woman. Her, she and her husband are co-directors. And she called me when she was, when she got engaged and she said, I don't, I don't have any family. I don't have any house of grace. She said, it's all I've got. And she said, you're the only dad I've got. She said, would you come and give me away? This is awful. I didn't expect to do this. Okay. Everybody stay calm. <laughs> so I've, I flew over there to give her away, you know, and a, a wealthy lady in California gave all the girls new dresses for the wedding. Beautiful floor length dresses, beautiful. We, we, and put them, we couldn't get them off of them. They played soccer in them all afternoon. <laughs> I, I think it's the only time we, I think it's the only time they ever wore them. They destroyed them, I believe in, but they wouldn't take those dresses off. But when I was walking Judapon down the aisle on my arm, beautiful. We made an outdoor wedding at the House of Grace, and it was all flowers and beauty and everything. And the little girls were all over here, 120 little girls with their beautiful dresses on, and they were singing Amazing Grace. And they sang it in Thai, and then they sang it in Akka, their tribal language, and then they signed it out in international sign language. And I was looking at them. And I thought about that little girl in that hotel. I didn't save that child. It bothers me. It still bothers me. And I can't save a million. Satan's going to get a bunch of them. But I know 120 he's going to get. Yeah. Uh. Good Lord, I've got to come to the place where I can share this without crying. <laughs> Look, what's the point of all this? The point is simply this. I never had a vision. I never said to myself, what I want to do is plant girls' homes. I did not want to. How many of you raised a daughter? I have two of my own. Hundreds more did not excite me. <laughs> I mean, all the shoes and all the dental bills and all that. I mean... Girls are expensive. <laughs> so I, didn't, I, I never heard the Lord say, go to Thailand and build a girl's home. We have one in Africa now. I never, I never have had a vision. I've never heard the Lord say, do this. So if you say to me, did God call you to start a tribal girl's home to fight child sex trafficking in Southeast Asia? I have to say, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I just know a little Thai pastor pointed his finger in my face and said, you're somebody. He said, you're sitting there talking about this. He said, aren't you somebody? So here's the thing. You start saying, God, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? You open the door on some particularly nasty little room it's just filthy and nasty. And you don't want to know about that room and you don't want to be there and you don't want to have anything to do with that room. But the filth of it assails you. You can stand there and pray for the will of God until you turn blue in the face. And you may or may not ever hear a word. Or you can simply sense 
what the people of God ought to do. And you get a mop and do what you can do. I know when I speak to young people, they look at old dude like me, and I know they must think, my God, it's a wonder he can walk. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, I want to tell you, the adventure is part of what makes it worth it, knowing that the next phone call can change your life, knowing that God can say to you, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and do what I tell you to do. Say what I tell you to say. Knock on the door I tell you to knock on. I'm not talking. I hope nobody is hearing me say that I want you to do some crazy, wild, impetuous thing. I'm talking about hearing, yielding to, and obeying God. But sometimes it isn't going to sound very supernatural. Sometimes it's just sensing this is the right thing to do. Somebody ought to do it. And I guess I'm somebody. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook. 